Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So we're in the Revelation. We're in the third chapter. We just started the third chapter and we're, like I said, on several occasions already today, we're in, we're beginning the teaching on the, the fifth church. There's seven of them, and it's the church in Sardis. In the church of Sardis, I think God's very on time. I told you last week we came out of Revelation to talk about grace, and I think in the church of Sardis, God demonstrates His graciousness, at least in my mind most beautifully and that'll make sense in a minute even though he calls the church dead there's there's a gracious beauty here that I want you to see but the fact of the matter is the church in Sardis was by God's very word dead in verse 1 he says I know your deeds that you have a name that you were alive but you are dead and it doesn't get any much more clear than that, that they were dead, but they appeared alive. I think this is the reason why I feel so, so urgent in praying for the church. Because I, I never want Launch Point Church to be identified as, I never want any church to be identified as the dead church. The church that looks good on the outside. It's a great reputation in town, but isn't accomplishing anything. I heard a story some time ago about a, a church. I'm just going to use Launch Point Church as an example because I don't remember the name of the church, but there was an old English church, and it said, Launch Point Church, we preach Christ and Him crucified. And as the church grew older, the ivy grew up on the side of it, and it said, Launch Point Church, we teach Christ. And the ivy grew up a little bit longer because they weren't paying attention. And it eventually said, Launch Point Church, we teach. And then it grew up a little bit longer and said, Launch Point Church. A little bit longer and then it just said, Launch Point. And the church was dead. I think death comes upon the church when the people aren't paying attention. When we allow the ivy to grow up in our lives. When we allow ourselves, according to the writer of Hebrews, to drift away. That we should not drift away. That we should pay attention. That we should fan into flame, according to Timothy, that which has been given to us by the laying on of hands. We are responsible to pursue God as He pursues us. Amen? Can I tell you, God pursues you. But if we don't pursue God, that which was once burning inside of us can turn to a, a very low ember or worse. There's a... The furthest star from Earth, minus the sun, is trillions of miles away. And I'm going somewhere. There's so much space that the human mind can't comprehend 
the distance between the Earth and the nearest star. And so scientists had to come up with a way to figure out how to make that space make sense. And they came up with the light year. And it essentially is the amount of time that it takes light to travel one year at 186,000 miles per second. Light traveling at 186,000 miles per second to get to, the, to us, the closest start to the, for that light to get to us is just under four and a half years. That's the enormity of the space that God created, and he considered you, which isn't this point I'm getting to, but that's amazing to me. Why do I tell you this story, this, give you this idea of astronomy? Because I feel like sometimes the church ends up being like that star. We look at it, and the second it goes out, we still see it lit. And we still see it lit. And we don't recognize, can't recognize, can't see that it's truly burnt out for four and a half years. For four and a half years, the star has been dead. But because of the distance and time it takes for light to travel to us, we wouldn't know it for four and a half years. We need to pay attention that we don't end up being four and a half years from now something we should have always been. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? God is good to us. And when I say us, I mean His church, not just Launch Point Church, His church. But He has also commanded His church to love Him and pursue Him and fan into flame the gift that's been given. And He's talking to Jesus Christ Himself through John, the Beloved. He is telling the church, don't allow yourself to burn out. Don't become the dead church. Amen? And so in Sardis chapter 3, is only six verses, he says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you were alive, but you were dead. Wake up! And strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. We can get into a whole theology thing about why Jesus would say my God. Because there's Trinitarian theology and all of those things. Just, just don't get, I guess you probably wouldn't have got focused on that if I had said it. But in the sight of my God. So remember that you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. We serve a what kind of God? An if-then God. If you do this, I promise that I will do this. Throughout Scripture we see this. If you do, then I will do. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I come to you. But, we serve a but God too. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will, have not, and they will walk with me in white. 
for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I'm going to mess you all up here in a minute with that. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So, he's talking to Sardis. And this is, I'm going to use the same model I've used for the other four churches up until this point. I'm going to talk about the community first and then the correspondent who's actually writing the letter, which of course is Christ Jesus and how he identifies himself, the correction, the commendation, and the comfort. Although I'm going to mix it up because the correction comes before the commendation in this instance. To the city first, what church is he talking to? He's talking to a wealthy church. He's talking to a geographically blessed church. And what I mean by that is Sardis was known in the ancient days to be a city of much wealth. And when I say much wealth, I mean a lot of wealth. When Cyrus overcame the city, he was, it was said or suspected that he took something along the lines of $600 million worth of gold from the city of Sardis. That's a lot of money now. I imagine it was quite a bit of money then. It was in Sardis that dyeing of wool was first introduced. They're geographically blessed in that they sat essentially on a cliff face, sheer cliff on three sides, and only accessible by one side, which made them arrogant. Because one, they have a lot of money. They feel really good about who they are. They had some temple worship going on there. They had some Roman worship going on there. And they, they were so confident in their position, which I think is the beginning of deadly things. We become complacent in who we are. We become overconfident in who we are. And on that cliff face, they were so certain that they couldn't be invaded from, that, from where they were that when an enemy attacked them, they would typically only defend one side without putting any defense or even an, someone to look over the cliff to ensure they weren't being attacked from that direction. Don't be so overconfident with who you are, where you are, and the money that you have that you allow yourself to fall into captivity which is exactly what happened to Sardis, which is why I think, to some degree, why the cold, dead church began to happen in Sardis. Because they grew comfortable in who they were. They grew comfortable in what they had. They grew comfortable in their position. Don't allow yourself to be comfortable. You're going to hear me say it a thousand times today. Fan into flame that which was given to you by the laying on of hands. Amen? Remember, these are churches that are written to for the purpose of making sure that the church is healthy. This is the seven churches. What has been wrong historically with the church and what is right historically with the church and how we make sure that we stay in proper relationship with the correspondent, the writer of the letter. And so in this city, you had wealth. In this city, you had geographical positioning. In this city, there was temples to their version of who Diana was, Diana was and Roman um, worship. 
There was a hot spring there, which is just, it's, it's, it's laughable, I guess. There's a, half, there's a hot spring in that city that was rumored to be visited by the gods to raise the dead to life, which is just laughable to me, especially considering Christ is talking to a dead church. I only share the community with you to explain why I think to some degree they allowed themselves to grow complacent. More importantly, let's talk about the correspondent. Who is writing this letter to them? The answer, of course, the short answer is Jesus. But he identifies himself, as we've discussed in every letter thus far, according to that church's need. So let me, let me go back and kind of review, explain what I'm talking about. In the letter to Ephesus, he says, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, The seven stars in his hand are the churches, and the, the golden lampstands, I'm sorry, are the leaders, and the lampstands are the churches. And so he sees us, he holds us intimately. He was telling the Ephesian church, I see you. I've not lost sight of you. I am intimately familiar with you. To the mess to, to Smyrna, he says, the first and the last who was dead, who has come to life, says this. And Smyrna, and Smyrna needed to know that they served a God that even through their persecution, even through his own persecution, was still alive. So stand strong knowing that you and your persecution will stay alive too. These are just examples. He introduced himself according to his character based on what that church needed to know. Here's how he introduces himself to the church in Sardis. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. The seven spirits of God according to Isaiah chapter 11 Verse 2 is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in all of His perfections. He is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of strength. I don't know why my brother would call me in the middle of a sermon. He knows what I'm doing. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of strength, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of fear of the Lord. What is Jesus saying by, by stating to this church that he who has the seven spirits of God, he's saying, listen, the church operates by the power of my spirit. How do we get messed up? We stop listening to the spirit in our life. And then he says this, he says, and the seven stars, which is to say, he represents himself intimately and mediates his church through his word and through the leaders of the church. How does God, how does Jesus mediate over his church? By the power of his Holy Spirit, by the word of God, and by the leaders in the church. I want you to grab a hold of that. For this reason. Because right after this, Jesus calls the church dead. 
but he didn't introduce himself as judge. I think it's how he doesn't introduce himself here that's so beautiful. He introduces himself as the guiding, loving, understanding, full of wisdom, full of knowledge, reverential spirit of God that dwells within the church and teaches. He's saying, let your Holy Spirit, let my Holy Spirit that is in you dwell with you, walk with you, talk with you, teach you that which you should know. We have messed ourselves up because we see this incredible God that's so amazing, and in fact He is, but we see Him as this horrible Old Testament judge. He's not that to us. He's not even that to the Sardis church. It's not how He introduced Himself. It's not what He wanted them to see. I don't want you to see the judgment that you deserve. I want you to see the love that I have for you. The fact that I've given you my Holy Spirit to live inside of you. The fact that I hold you in my righteous right hand is these things that should cause us to celebrate the goodness of God. That should cause the fire that we allowed to ebb in us, overflow in us. There's an old illustration. Many of you have heard it, I'm sure, about a, a pastor went to a guy's house. He hadn't been to church very in a long time. And he knocks on his door. The guy lets him in and... He's sitting in front of a roaring fire and asks the pastor to sit down. pastor doesn't say anything. Let me tell you, it's really hard for a pastor not to go in somebody's house and be like, ain't seen you in church in a while. But you know what I've learned? That never works. Love people. Let God deal with them. But the pastor sits there in front of this fire and he grabs a cold coal, one that had, one that had rolled off the fire. And was sitting by itself. You guys have all seen this. Campfire or a fire in your house. Pastor not saying anything. Just took the tongs. Picked up the, the cold coal. Put it back in the center of the fire. And watched it glow red. This. Is how we should respond. As people who have allowed ourselves to get cold. Move closer to the fire. Represent the love that God gave us to the people around you. Because this is how Jesus represented himself. This is how he declares himself to the church of Sardis. He, he didn't say, you're the worst people on earth. I gave you everything that you needed. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you the word. I gave you leadership to ensure that you had everything you're supposed to have. And you're still jacking this up. I tell you, that's not the God that you serve. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave you His Word. He gave you leadership and fellowship. The ability to, to love one another, pray for one another, hold one another up because He wants you to know that your ember doesn't have to stay dark. That in fellowship it is fanned into flame. That's good preaching right there. You are alive. You are alive, but you are dead. And then he goes into the correction. Told you, normally he gives the commendation. He says, you're doing this great. But there's this thing that you're messing up. I want you to fix it. 
Did I tell you God will extend you grace, but still bring to your attention where you're messed up? And sometimes primarily so that he can get to where you're doing good. I love the fact that God loves me enough to discipline me. I told it last week, the discipline of God is one of God's greater graces to me. It's hurtful, it hurts, I don't like it in my flesh. But I know that God's grace and discipline for me is so that I might be better in the end, so that I might be restored back to where I should be. And so, again, I think it's a grace when he starts with the correction so that he can say, but let me finish on a good note. Let me finish on something strong here, something I want you to take home with you. And he says, wake up, 1C through 3. Actually, I'm going to... He says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive. Your star, people still sitting in your star, and it's lit. But you know as well as I do, it's dead as it was, as it's ever been. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. Because of the condition of the church, Jesus skips the usual commendation, moves straight into correction. He has a desire for us to get it right. God loves you enough that He wants you to get it right. He wants you to be in perfect communion and perfect relationship with us. Can I tell you though, praise God, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that that happens. It's not some checklist that we can do or not do that's going to make God love us any more or any less. Somebody ought to be excited about that because your checklist is long if you were going to make one. (laughs) I think the Sardis Church, much like every other church, that I've ever known with a reputation of goodness that had no goodness, allowed itself to be defiled by the world around it. It grew comfortable in who it was. We read Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday our mission statement. We exist to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. You know why I ask you to do that every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday? Not so you can grow complacent in it, but so that you could take that coal and put it back in the middle of your fire and realize that God created you for a purpose. And that purpose is cyclic so that people can come to know who He is because they know you. Not only that, come to know God, but they in God. You can't be in Christ and not ultimately find freedom. I think the worst thing in the world a person can do is know Jesus and not tell anybody. You're going to let them walk around in the lack of freedom when you know that they can have freedom in Christ Jesus, that they can have Christ first, walk in freedom, that in their freedom, God created everyone for a purpose, and in that purpose, God will use you in the greater church to accomplish His will. Man, that's so good. And then ultimately, so that you'll know, through all of that, God's created you for one singular purpose, which is to make a difference. 
Now these are these are flippant words, man. I mean, every politician puts it on their sign. Different together, or new different, or whatever. The only real difference you can make is to make this mission statement, as we declare it, cyclic, which is to be the conduit through your freedom, through your purpose, and an availability, and opportunity so other people might come to know God. This is how we ensure that we're not dead. That's the reason why we teach generationally, the next generation, what they should know about God, what they should know about their freedoms, because all of these things are one generation away from being gone forever. And somehow they stopped realizing these truths and became dead. It's sad. But he says, wake up and strengthen the things which were remain, which were about to die. What things? About the things that you've heard, the things that you've seen, the things that you've read, the things that have been revealed to you by the Spirit of God. Remember these things. Which we're about to die. Man, Pastor Jim, day in and day out, I just struggle. Word of God, I need you to go to the book of John and read 14, 15, and 16 whenever you get a minute. Your Holy Spirit's a teacher to you, a, re a revelator to you, a comforter to you. Man, I don't know about this. Bible tells us if we ask God for wisdom, He will give it to us. Remember the things that you heard. The most significant thing you need to remember you heard is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ died for you when you didn't deserve it so that you might have eternal life should wake you up. And it's not going to if you just go, oh, yeah, Jesus died for me, that's cool. We should stand on that truth, meditate on that truth, pray on that truth day in, day out, over and over and over again. Wake up, church. What is it I need to remember? I need to remember that there's a God that created the universe that, that, that's so big. The nearest star is six trillion light, light or six trillion miles away. That's what I need to remember. And that he focused his love and affection on us. And I dare you to meditate on that and not burn. Because you can't. One of my favorite quotes, and I can never remember who said it, which is horrible. When asked, why do people listen to you preach? He said, I don't know. I just set myself on fire. People come watch me burn. We need to be that church. And when I say church... I've said this a thousand times. I'm talking about cumulatively and individually. People are, I don't need to go to church. I am the church. You are the church. But you're part of a cumulative church too. But everything that's decreed of the church is also true about you individually. Christ died for His church. Cumulatively, so that it might be established in the hope of the world. And so that you can have eternal life.
Anybody, is anybody tracking where I'm coming from? Wake up. He's telling the church of Sardis, wake up. Remember the things that you've heard. Stand confidently in what you've heard. Know that the Spirit of God lives in you. Know that my Spirit lives in you. The Spirit that I just talk, talked about a second ago out of Isaiah 11, chapter 2. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit of understanding. People are all, man, I'm, I'm never going to know that. The Spirit of God is in you. You'll know that. Because He has placed the Spirit of understanding in you. He has placed the Spirit of wisdom in you. I'm not talking something crazy. I'm being very plain speaking today. He put the Spirit of strength in you. And we let the world beat us to death. Well, I just, just you know, the world's always coming against me. The all-powerful, mighty Spirit of God lives inside of you. Stand up. All right. Woo. Can we get excited about the Word? When I think about all the things that God has equipped us with, empowered us with, strengthened us with, so that we can walk in victory and we don't, and knowing that our continual walking outside of victory causes us to grow cold and dispassionate, God doesn't want that for you. He had sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for you to die some mundane, live some mundane life. He put His Spirit in you so that you might be on fire. Amen. All right. About to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. You know how he finds your deeds complete? Search. Seek. Remember. Let him complete in you that which he started in you. Do you believe that God wants to finish what he started in you? Or do you think he started something in you he's not capable of completing? Well, that's foolishness. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent where you fall short. God doesn't hold your sin against you. But he does call you to repent of that sin. I have to declare, God, I, I've messed that up. So many of us are unwilling to, to admit to God where we fall short. Like he doesn't know already. One of the best illustrations God ever gave me, he gave me as I was talking, and I've said it a thousand times, well, not that many, maybe four or five times in here, but it's the most beautiful thing. And this is what I want you to grab a hold of. If you weren't here for the 20 times I've said it before, sometime in the foundation, the creation of the earth, God made a plan to save you. And sometime after that, Jesus died that you might be saved. And sometime after that, you accepted that salvation. And sometime after that, probably very quickly after that, you fail and did something stupid. And then you fell again. And then you fell again. And then you fell again. You know what's incredible about these fail, I fail, I fail, I fail? God knew you were going to fall because he knows all things. He's in all places at all times. 
He knew you were going to fall when he made this plan in the first place. So I fall. You know what? Spirit of God gives me strength to stand up and say, I own that. God, forgive me for that. I had a conversation with my friend Stephen Pinson today. I have a compulsory need to love God the way he deserves to be loved because he loved me in a way I could never repay. Man, that's beautiful. You want to make sure you're not a dead church? Corporately, individually, remember what you've heard. Keep it and repent. So it doesn't matter when he comes back. You'll be ready. Amen? But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so he gives the commendation. There's some of you. I'm going to always keep a remnant that belong to me. There's some of you that haven't fallen the way of the world. You haven't allowed yourself to be stained or corrupted. To you, I'm going to give the white garment. The eternal garment of purity and holiness. This is the promise that God makes to us. And I think it's a beautiful promise. So I would challenge you. I don't even know where we're at on time. I'm over. I would challenge you. What does your ember look like? Is your star still lit? You know, we could do a lot of stuff around this town. And people would be all, man, that Launch Point Church is really doing it. But if we're doing it out there, jacked up in here, we're not shining a light that matters. Amen? I want you to ask yourself, what, what is my coal, what does my ember look like? And then pray, because I tell you, my, my ember burns pretty hot. And I'm not saying that braggadociously, but my ember ain't as hot as it could be. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek the face of God tomorrow too, and tomorrow afternoon too, and tomorrow night too. And then the next day, and then the next day. Until ultimately, I'm in the presence of God, wearing the white garment, because I had an ear to hear. Amen?